Welcome to the Live Well, Perform Better podcast, brought to you by Below the Line. My name is David Duggan, and I am part of a team made up of experts from the worlds of business, elite sport, adventure, and health and well-being. We are coaches, mentors, and advisors to some of the world's biggest companies and organizations, as well as smaller businesses, entrepreneurs, and people looking to make their mark on the world. Our guiding mantra at Below the Line is live well, perform better. What does that mean, you might ask? Good question. Maybe the easiest way to describe it from our perspective is finding the formula that works for you when it comes to things like looking after your physical and mental health, running your business, developing your career, leading your people, or simply being able to show up as brilliantly as possible into your own life, both for yourself and those around you. That's why each week I sit down with a member of our team or an invited guest for a conversation that focuses on the question, what do the words live well, perform better mean to you? This question is a way into exploring with people from a range of different backgrounds, industries and disciplines, what are the practices, techniques, habits or ideas that they use to help them to show up and be at their best in all areas of their lives, whether that's as CEOs, leaders or managers, or as parents, family members or friends. We keep it short and sweet so that you can extract all the good stuff and get on with the rest of your day and hopefully put some of this knowledge, experience and expertise into play for yourself. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by a very special guest, Cara McGillivray. Cara is the Experience and Engagement Lead at Allianz Partners, where she is responsible for building programs and interventions that support people to achieve greater performance and fulfillment in their working lives at what is the world's largest financial services company. In a wide-ranging discussion, Cara shared with me her own story and the path that has led her to where she is now. From training initially as a teacher to getting started in the insurance industry to motherhood and all points in between, Cara also spoke candidly about the metaphorical cliff edge she very nearly fell off in her early 30s and how she avoided it, thanks to the awakening she had into how she was living and the changes she has since made to her lifestyle, health and habits. As well as all of this, Cara also spoke to me about the challenges she sees organisations currently grappling with to provide meaningful and impactful experiences to employees that help keep people motivated, connected and attached to their employers. You can subscribe at www.belowtheline.ie where you can stay up to date with our podcast as well as exclusive online events and sessions including our Press Pause coaching community and our story coaching programs. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Yeah, tell me, why do you do what you do? Well, I was thinking on this and it's a really interesting question, I suppose, because we don't often stop and ask ourselves this one until someone poses it to us like you are to me today. And after 16 years of my own professional life, I didn't ask it of myself until I had to as part of one of my assignments for my master's. And the topic was around writing a letter to your future self of five years time as a reflection piece on where you are now and where you see yourself going. As part of this, uh, it was a practicing organization psychology module. And it was a real game changer and an eye opener for me. And I still talk about it and think about it this day to, to this day, you know, in terms of helping me identify what I am actually interested in over what I thought I should be doing. Uh, I suppose, and even more critically, what, you know, success should feel like over what I thought at the time it should look like. And I suppose to answer your question, I originally wanted to be an English teacher and did an undergraduate degree in English and geography and uh, to be a secondary school teacher. But once I had that and it was time to do the postgrad for teaching, 
secondary school positions were scarce and they were crying out for primary school teachers at the time. And uh, I, I suppose my myself and my now husband had just bought our first apartment and driven by the need for financial stability, I decided to go and get the job and went into the fin- financial services. Uh, but also with the idea to go back and do my postgrad. But sure, one year led to another and two different companies later, I started to progress in operational management from a team leader to management over division. So over like the course of 12 years, teaching didn't really become a reality. And in truth, I suppose it was a long forgotten ambition as I was happy, you know, I was progressing at that time. Um, and I was young, or let's say younger, <laughs> and it was all about progression and climbing the ladder, you know, or so I thought. But flash forward to a career change um, into HR in 2017, um, where I still believed I would work my way up, you know, to being from a senior HR business partner I was at the time to a HR manager, and then the dream of eventually becoming a HR director. Uh, until I started my master's in work and organizational psychology in DCU. Shout out to them, excellent course. Um, I felt I really grew up in a way and stepped off, I suppose, the hamster wheel that I was on at that time, just progressing and moving up to each role, which is what we're kind of taught in school and how we believe you should be successful. But at that time in my master's, I really got, I suppose, the time to reflect on what I was doing, where I wanted to go. And also the change of career really gave me that time to, to reflect on it. Um, so in that, right in that example, in, in that assignment, it really gave me time to think of like, you know, what my career, what my aspirations were and where I was going. And it dawned on me that I didn't want my boss's job or their boss's job. And in fact, I didn't want to do or be a HR business partner at all but really wanted to kind of combine my operational leadership knowledge of actively being in the dugouts or on the ground, you know, being in an active leadership role, which I think in a way distinguished me from my colleagues in HR who were purely HR driven. And then adding that to my HR knowledge and experience that I'd gained to kind of help other leaders to become better leaders, perhaps through development programs and and interventions. And ultimately, that my hybrid knowledge, I suppose, of both HR and ops would be an asset in terms of employee engagement and experience. And lucky enough for me, that's what I've ended up doing now over the last 12 months of my current role. Um, I'm a regional employee experience and engagement lead for the North Central Eastern European region uh, within Alliance Partners. So I'm responsible for developing programs and initiatives around health and well-being, inclusion and diversity and employee engagement. Uh, and in many ways, that's brought me full circle. It's what I really reflected on um, in my assignment to my teaching ambitions, but in a different format, I suppose, because my role involves educating, creating awareness, uh, running workshops, coaching, and, and a lot more. So I was only explaining this to my 15-year-old who's currently trying to prepare for his junior search and is very anxious about not knowing what he wants to do. And we're just trying to get through the junior search at the moment, you know, but I was giving him that whole example going, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I did. But I've ended up in something completely different, but in a way not so different, you know, it does encompass the teaching element that I wanted to be involved in in the first place. You're 12 months into this new career and a lot of organizations talk about this idea of engagement. Um, but I'm just wondering, you know, what does that mean from an organizational point of view? Yeah, I think we've seen, I think it's definitely was one thing right pre-pandemic and in terms of the offering and the basicness of what you were, you know, given to your employees around um, I suppose we have a affiliation with, you know, health insurance companies that so they come in and they provide talks now and then or get your booster jab. And sure, it'd be nice to have something running in the background where we maybe have a CSR community thing that we do. Uh, you know, and it was all kind of, I feel a little bit tick the box. Uh, 
But I definitely, well, 100%, we all know the pandemic has kind of changed everything because the whole focus for organizations was making sure that their employees were okay, comfortable at home, not overwhelmed, still able to do their job. Very much looking at the whole person, I think, rather than just seeing them as an employee who comes in eight to five, 40 hours a week, offers what they do. And then, you know, thanks very much. Whereas I think organizations and leaders have to appreciate that, you know, there's more to life than work and that people were, you know, under pressure in terms of managing their home life and personal life, which was all in the one space. So I think now engagement has flipped more, less in terms of, you know, ticking the box and just providing the basics of, you know, we're, we have a few health talks here, you have your health insurance to really, in terms of what we're doing anyway in, well, in Alliance Partners, holistically involving everything for the employee around, you know, what we call, what is diversity and inclusion, we call uniqueness. So appreciating the entire person, creating that space and that caring culture for people to express who they are, feel like they're comfortable to come to work. Um, to really develop leaders, leaders to understand and appreciate the uh, emotional intelligence side of their their role, at the softer skills, and to be more empathetic. So, I suppose it's to summarize: it's to be more to to show more in action than you know just in sending out powerpoints and offering different kind of talks around certain things. To actually put uh, practice into action, to showing that you are a more a caring organization. Uh, to ensure that your leaders from the top, you know, are are living the values and I suppose getting involved in these issues. Like, so we would have top uh, CEOs now being sponsors of diversity and inclusion networks that we have. Just just items like that. I think that's what it means. I think, and that's the difference in what it was pre post pandemic. Our strap line, as you know, is 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 live well, perform better. I'm just wondering, what does that mean to you? Um, uh, just based on your your own your own take on that. Yeah, I think the strap line can be applied to all aspects of our lives and so not only professionally but personally in our relationships emotions and mental health I think we're all too familiar now like I was saying you know coming out of this pandemic and um, how important to use that word again holistic wellness is um, and that it's not just enough you know to get up and be active to do your walk in the morning and then you feel like you've you know that's your wellness ticked off but we we need to instill and develop healthy habits for ourselves around lots of different aspects of our health be it that sleep nutrition, mindfulness, even creative time is something that I, over the course of the last few years, have realized something that you kind of forgot to do and how much joy it brings. Um, but to do things like that, you know, to make us accountable every day to ensure that we're looking after ourselves in all aspects of our lives so that we can perform better professionally. Um, and I think we all know this to be the case, but we don't often practice it, right? And I think this is probably a current problem that we probably have is that there's lots of information flooding in and we know the right things to do, but the main pressure point for everybody is time. So it's, I think it goes back to being careful about carving out that time and being very conscious to carve out that time to know that if you're not looking after yourself, you, you like it's the say it's the old adage, you hundred percent can't look after everybody else until you're in a good place yourself. Um, and I'm not sure if this is an age thing as I've spoken with people quite younger than myself, who are on top of their game in terms of mindfulness and psychology around I suppose, even the human experience. But I can only speak to my own experience that as I've gotten older, and particularly in the last four years, I'm more conscious to ensure I live better, uh, to ensure, as you, you know, as you say, that I perform better. But it's it's work and it's um it's it's a lot more than motivation, it's discipline and habits. 
you've kind of anticipated my next question, which is, um, you know, what are the practices or habits or behaviors that you, you engage in? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think as well, this has evolved and grown over time. Um, this particularly, I feel like I've had a lot, a big change over the last five years, but 100% my main thing for me and has been since I was in my early 20s was the gym. So that was pre-children, pre-having time for myself. But especially now, um, I get up every morning at um, half five and I'm in the gym for six and I, I never miss it. And if I do miss it, I'm quite frustrated more with myself because not from an aesthetic uh, motivation. I mean, that's obviously a nice benefit, but more so for this is the time for me uh, that I have for myself before I have to deal with work or and I say deal with, but like, you know, be a show up, say, as a mother and as a, an employee. So I really have that time to have, and it's two full hours, so I give myself and um, listen to a podcast, listen to a book, whatever, while I'm physically being active. So I'm doing something for my body, but also for my mind. Um, and, and even if that means sometimes where I can't get to the gym for that time, say if I have an early meeting, I have to be a, on a call at 8 a.m., I still will get up and make sure. And I do it at the weekends, actually. And that I get up an hour before I really need to do something, if that's to have a coffee and sit and, you know, reflect on something, look, plan out something uh, on my phone, maybe a holiday or whatever it is. I, the, the basic fundamentals for me is getting that time to myself. Um, the next thing I really focus on uh, is sleep. So as I say there, I get up a lot early. Uh, I do get up early. I mean, I was in the gym at five before the pandemic, before they changed all the different times. So I used to leave my house at half four. But I was so foolish years ago. This is a big learning curve for me. And that I used to think I used to drink up to seven cups of coffee and think I was absolutely fine. Didn't affect me because it didn't like I could sleep. But I, I also would get by the time I got all my children to bed, like they're a lot older now. But I used to be frustrated that I wouldn't have this time to myself, this, this time that I'm talking about. So I would end up sitting up watching TV stupidly late and just doing all sorts of nonsense and not going to bed. Often sometimes at 12 half 12 and get up at four and I did that for a long time but I didn't feel and I suppose I was that bit younger I was in my 30s I didn't feel affected by it I mean I still am in my 30s but anyway <laughs> um, early 30s I didn't feel like I thought it was all fine and rosy until the pandemic happened and, and it wasn't just the pandemic but I'm just using this as the time frame when it came to realization for me I've been doing this for a couple of years um so kind of low sleep but then the added stress and eventually we all know and I know now that's just going to hit you like a brick wall and you're going to have burnout. But only when I did my master's, which was extra pressure, then we had homeschooling in the pandemic. And during that year, I, I was writing my dissertation it was in my final year and it, it really hit me like a brick wall. So to say I experienced burnout, yeah, it would be putting it mildly, but that was a tough time. And that really made me go, you need to actually step back here and cop on. So now I have a really big sleep hygiene process around making sure I'm being realistic if I can just get seven hours I'm happy so I have like a timer on my phone my watch to tell me time to go to bed take my zinc and magnesium I invested in a diffuser there recently like cut out screen time I've incorporated like um things in my life my personal life that helps in terms of getting my younger one up to bed she's nearly 10 so that we can read together and we have a set time but that gets me up you know it's just around putting in this practice and routines that's definitely a big thing. Another thing is I'm focusing on recently or a lot, I suppose, in the last number of years is this connection with my friends. I'm very good at staying in contact with my friends, organizing time to do things every couple of weekends or, you know, 
and and people often look and think oh you've this, you've three children and your full-time job and and if you're to look at social media and I don't post and like oh here I am I'm out for dinner but you know you start worrying or you can start worrying to think oh people think what's well, grand for her she's off there like to share spend time with her children you don't always post things that you do with your children that's an aside note I'm thinking but I, I am I do make time for my friends so I'm always trying to plan it and this is what gives me motivation keeps me going is okay in, in two weeks time I'm going to meet such and such for brunch or we might go for a walk or we might go for a hike my, my latest thing is this whole connection with nature and being out in the outdoors in the sunshine for as long as I can but just really to see different kind of landscapes is a huge thing that I do for for myself it's time for myself but it's also I do it with friends so I kind of hit two nails with the same hammer sort of combining that um, and lastly, and lastly, is cre creative time. So I spoke about that earlier. And when I was doing a lot of group coaching during the pandemic um, through my organization, but around the health and well-being topic and around maintaining healthy habits, you know, while remote working, it kind of dawned on me as I was kind of helping other people find their own solutions. But just for myself that, geez, I had stopped doing things like baking. Um, uh, we're basically just baking or cooking new recipes because I just had given it up but I'd forgotten how much joy that brought me or just that was my own kind of meditation I don't I haven't mastered the art and I'm giving myself the time to sit down and do medication but I realized there's different forms of it and that's definitely one for me so I do that every week I'm constantly cooking something something maybe two three times a week just something different and for me it kind of um, hits the creativity meditation and kind of time for myself thing um, oh, and one more is just um, learning, learning and development, you know, constant. This is a healthy habit for myself. I've realized and I've kind of said it already about changing and evolving. And I think this is the older I'm getting and realizing that we do go through these cycles every five to seven years. And I am different from who I was five years ago. I'm sure it'll be different again in another five years. So I'm constantly just listening and reading books around psychology and the human experience just to try to understand myself, but also how I apply that to other like my professional life and also like my personal relationships with my family friends and husband Dean. so that's there's a few things there well it's really um it's really impressive um and it's I, i'm listening to it kind of feeling almost exhausted but um i'm wondering what's the difference do you think um in how your um how your family or other people in your life experience you now versus um a couple of years ago when you weren't uh, doing what you're doing now that's uh it's very interesting question that you've just asked me because like there's definitely a change a hundred percent in me um from I, years ago when they were all younger i'd say i would have been very uptight and fraught and i'm a type a personality so everything had to be perfect and you know they had to my children had to not that they had to look perfect but just that i had to make sure everything like the house is clean and people came or everything was running as it should be and this was my whole I don't need to sleep. I'm, I'm on seven cups of coffee and I'm fine. I have this full-time job and the kids are great and everything's great. Um, and I think underneath that all, I suppose I would have been a much more anxious and wound up person with, with my kids or something broke, you know, would have been a big deal. And this is kind of flipped on its head now over the last number of years. It's not to do with them getting older. It's a hundred percent to do with me changing, reflecting on myself, understanding what's important what's not important um, I think that well it's definitely a fact of saying and it's the same for all kids right the first kid would probably have a lot more pressure or reaction from parents than say my daughter the third one and you know they think they get away with murder but it's definitely as you grow older you just realize the value of what's important and what's not but I think um, 
I, I don't think I know I know a lot of the work I've put into myself and um, just even the books I've done and the, the time I spent often my long walks or listening to books and reading stuff has, a lot of the stuff is designed to help you as a person grow that I'm reading and you know find yourself for example I read this really incredible book last year and um, how to do the work by Nicola Pereira and it's very much designed at understanding yourself your inner child and you know where why you are the way you are be that positive or negative from any positive or negative um, experience you had as a child but I actually really at the time use it to make myself a better parent for my 12 year old daughter at the time and just things that she was going through and adolescence and change so I think if I wasn't that way inclined and I wasn't putting all that focus to grow and develop in myself I wouldn't be reflecting it as a parent or a friend or a partner it also sounds to me like you came to realization about giving yourself permission would that be true yeah yeah definitely uh permission as well I to <laughs> to forgive yourself or to accept you know things maybe that were flaws or and identify them and yeah and not to be defined by them I've, I've learned a lot recently to be I'm not like I am a like I often I was calling myself a perfectionist for a long time but I've stopped doing that because I think it's kind of a negative label on yourself it's just I like things a certain way and then it kind of defined me going well that's because I am this and I seek to be the best and I have to you know constantly chase this perfectionism um, and and I also probably late to the game read Rhonda Burns The Secret and that whole you know I am you know you manifest what you are and I was thinking to myself well I am if I keep telling myself this I will act and behave like this and that's not pleasant to be around it's great it's great in some many aspects it helps you and I think it does has definitely helped me I suppose succeed perform and drive myself but there's other negative aspects to it where you can be too overwhelmed and too engaged too obsessed with things so I stopped defining myself like that you know calling myself things like that for sure and you touched on this earlier as well if I miss a day in the gym I can get a bit antsy and I know that experience myself if I miss a day's exercise um but do you um if you miss something or if something slips you know how do you how do you recover and how do you just manage yourself are you hard on yourself and still in that respect um I think yeah not as much now I definitely probably would have been and I would have, if I missed the gym, you know, had a full day work, say, and maybe then I had to deal with the children. And then I had to do maybe some more work late at night because, uh, I don't know, say there's stuff going on. But the whole time it would be bugging me to not get out for a walk or to do a class at home or just basically say to myself, I've done something. So I started and that's over only really in the, the last two years, definitely in the last two years. Yeah, I've started to let give myself permission even as you said to and test myself to not do it I would make myself sometimes as I said if it was working late still go out and do a walk or still work out and it could be 10 o'clock at night like it's it was that was nearly obsessive but just to, to tick a box and to be in control it's being in control is what that is so I've given myself permission sometimes now to go okay it didn't happen um, and to kind of have a chat with myself and say you're actually not going to do this it's okay to take a day off it's okay not to do your full schedule if that happens. I'll give you an example, actually, this morning. Um, I charged my Fitbit watch. Uh, I was dead nearly before I went off. I had my quick cup of coffee. And whilst I was in, the, and I'm very much like, like my watch. And I like, I'm trying to get even sometimes the 10,000 steps in the gym before we leave by doing a run or whatever else after my weights. And I was doing my weights and I realized that I didn't have my watch on for a second. I was very frustrated with myself. And I just thought, well, so awkward. like you're you're relying on this piece of machinery to tell you that you've done 
could be even six, seven thousand before you get out of here. You'll be okay. <laughs> Go home, put your watch on. And, you know, if it doesn't hit 10,000 today, and you know in your head you've actually done it by the time you get your little stuff done. But yeah, complete example this morning. And I did actually check myself and I had a good chat with myself going, that's ridiculous. It's actually just a watch. It's about how you feel, what you're actively doing yourself. I know I've gone and done my gym this morning. So I don't need, you know, something to tell me and give me fireworks to give me a pat on the back. Yeah, so there's an example of, yeah, learning to adapt, which I wouldn't have done years ago. I might, I, I might have, to speak to what I was saying earlier, gone out and made sure I got the physical steps on the watch. Do you think that that stuff that you engage in for yourself, does that, what type of impact does that have on the role you do now or how you're able to do it? Um, I'd imagine that somebody who's doing that type of stuff can come from um, a greater place of authority when it comes to talk to people around engagement and employee experience, etc. Yeah, I suppose it definitely ha- it's, it has, it's had a, it has had an effect, twofold effect. I think I've gone down a rabbit hole of listening and reading to a lot of stuff I did over, um, so I was around my dissertation then when I came out of it in the pandemic time, was still lockdowns. And for me personally, it was too heavy. Like I was listening to too much information and reflecting too much on my own life. So much so that I was just, I actually I identified it myself going, God, all the stuff I'm listening to is quite heavy. That I started listening to some life biographies and stuff, you know, I changed all that. Um, but from my pers- from my professional experience, it's definitely bolsters of my knowledge, I suppose, and things that we could do within the organization. Um, and I definitely think hundred percent my, I suppose, my academic background in, in terms of studying psychology and identifying research papers, being able to read them, um, but just being exposed to different organizational psychologists. I don't know if you know of Adam Grant. I'm a massive fan, yeah, of him. Well, I read his papers. I, I, I did trust basically from my dissertation and it was all around vertical vulnerability and trust and how you can show vulnerability vertically um, as, a, as a follower to a leader when a leader very clearly can show you vulnerability and has no impact on them, but how can you reflect that backwards? So that's a big thing I've brought in and do a lot of things around trust within, uh, I suppose, my role. And I can identify you know, the gaps on that and, and suggest different programs. But I love Adam Grant's podcast, um, uh, how, to, how to Make, what's it called? Oh, it's just called Work Life. Um, but his tagline is, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, how to make work not suck. Get so much um, information from him. And just, he just speaks the truth for someone who's academic, but can also reflect to organizational life. So I think from my role, yeah, I, I, because I'm constantly listening and interested in that and interested in the human experience, right? I, um, I'm, I, I'm constantly trying to bring in different things that we can do or look around in terms of even particularly the diversity and inclusion side. That's kind of an area I'm really kind of dipping my feet more and more into because I feel, and I think this goes back to my um, my draw to be a teacher or to help and to nurture. I think ultimately I'd like to be involved in something. I, I know, I don't think I think, I keep saying that a lot during this interview, sorry, but I know I'll eventually end up doing something that has a purpose and is maybe not organizational driven and that's given back to, you know, yeah, that's 100% what I want to end up doing myself. So within, yeah, within my role, that's kind of what I'm looking at as well. Um, and picking up on that and shifting the perspective, if you like, um, with your HR practitioner's hat on, you've touched on, on on the diversity and inclusion agenda, but are there any other issues, um, whether that's health, well-being, performance challenges that you're seeing in terms of what people in your organization or, or in the wider world, whatever it might be, are, are facing right now? Yeah, I suppose we have a lot of... Um 
target operating model kind of changes there's a lot of um there's a lot of changes going on so we have a lot of programs around assisting leaders to effectively you know um guide their teams through the change so i suppose that's the same in terms of the way we are remote working across the world now that could be applied to lots of different organizations but uh we definitely have a lot of change programs coming in to support leaders and also adaptations into how we manage learning and development as organizations right and we don't have that face-to-face -face anymore and how we can continue uh growth and talent development within organizations so that's definitely something else that we're focused on um and the big thing is the mental health as uh, so, you know it's okay to say you're not okay has been a kind of a campaign done over the last couple of years but more specifically in training um or recruiting in employees who want to be a part of this mental health first aid uh, kind of committee that we set up and we trained over 25 people to be um, trained in, men in mental health first aid as a kind of second response, different contact for or, uh, employees to reach out to if they don't want to contact HR, EAP, their employee assistance program or their line manager, they can effectively reach out to someone and we're a global organization across any part of the world. There's, we have people everywhere that they'll never see or will never know them to remove the stigma that they might have associated reaching out so that's kind of been in the health and well-being space something that we're looking at yeah and my last question um again just based from your own perspective what's the one piece of advice you would give to anyone who's interested in this idea of living well to perform better there's many answers i could give to this question you know ensuring you spend equal time on four quadrants of your life that yeah, i mean i actually didn't touch on them but for me like that's around health your person your relationships work and finance or invest in time to get to know yourself you know what you like dislike what you dream of and um, what you want your time on this planet to be uh, by just learning to actually stop reflect and redesign your life like what I had done I spoke of earlier on I could speak around all them but I think I have to say fundamentally my one piece of advice is sleep to get enough sleep as I've learned the hard way over the years that not getting enough sleep and thinking it was a badge of honor and how all that caught up with me and eventually does to everyone and that, you know, if you don't have enough sleep, all four quadrants of your life, again, for me, that's like your health relationships, work and your finance are not being serviced as they should be because you're not cognitively or emotionally equipped to respond to the challenges within them or and also to grow from them because you're just on a hamster wheel of deprivation. So fundamentally, my one piece of advice for anybody is to yeah, ensure you have good sleep. Fantastic. Cara, you're a force of nature um, and I knew this was going to be fascinating and it has so, so it has proved to be. So thanks very much for, for giving me your time and coming on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And I wish you every success now with uh, your own role and those hopes and dreams and ambitions that you have for yourself as well. You, you thoroughly deserve them. Thanks a million. Thanks, David. I'm really delighted to be invited to participate. It was really good fun for me. Thank you.